0: And uh, this will be our last week in the psalm for a while. And um, I told you we were going to do 20 psalms. And then we were going to jump back into the book of Jeremiah. And so we'll do probably maybe 20 chapters or so in Jeremiah. It's kind of fitting when a nation leaves God and how that works out. But uh, So we'll, we'll jump into that next week. We'll kind of do an overview since that was five or six years ago that we started that book. Maybe not that long ago, but uh, and then we'll, then we'll jump into that. Um, tonight, I, uh, I hope that uh, you have been praying for our country. I hope that you've been praying for our country before today, but I, I hope that you are praying for our country and, uh, and uh, for all that goes on. Uh, tonight, if I was to ask you, what is one thing from the life of Moses that stands out to you what would it be? From what you've read about Moses in the Old Testament, what's, what's something that has stood out to you? What is a story? Um, what, what is something that, that, that really just pops to your mind when you hear Moses? The Ten, Commandments. Ten Commandments, absolutely. Burning bush. Burning bush. Being a leader. Being a leader. Don't make me call on you by name. That's always so awkward. <laughs> Temper? I can't. I can't hear on this side. Don't pick on the disabled. All right? That's a crime. I think now. Huh? Harding the sea. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Harding the sea. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry about that. You should have sent it in a bitmoji to me. I could have got it. But speak to the rock. Don't strike the rock. That that seems pretty insignificant to us. Go for a second round? Yeah, I'm literally... The rotten serpent? Mm-hmm. Yep. The Bible says that he was the most what man? Meek or... Humble. Uh, no one usually brings up the fact that he murdered somebody, right? That's, usually, that's not what that stands out in us. Uh, yeah, I don't want to put that in your testimony. Absolutely, from the water. Absolutely. So Moses was an extremely uh, significant figure in the Old Testament. And when we think about the Psalms, we think about David, we think about Solomon... And, but Psalms 90, um, some people view it as someone who wrote it thinking about Moses, but I don't. I believe that Moses wrote it, and so it would technically be the first Psalm that was written. It's not in chronological order like, you know, Matthew first, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And so um, I think that if, if, when you think about Moses and his life, this Psalm really stands out. Because if you don't know the backstory, you, you don't really understand the significance of it. So um, what I think about Moses is, I don't know what kind of funeral services exactly they had. Uh, you can read Jewish tradition, but if he preached all of those people's funerals, he preached a whole bunch of them because a whole generation died in the wilderness, right? And, um, and so just think about that. The, I think about the death that he witnessed and how hard that would have been to watch everyone his age, everyone of his generation, all of them except for him and who? Who else went into the promised land with him? So think about this. Everybody you know dies. Everybody. You, people you served with at, in worship. People you led the nation with. Your fellow elders. Your, all of them are gone. And so this psalm really starts to hit home. You see, if, if you've never struggled with a particular sin, so if you've struggled with the same sins that King David struggled with, when you hear King David talk about it, you can say, I know what you're talking about. If you have a testimony where you uh, were raised in church but ran from God, uh, when someone else gives that testimony, you're like, I know what you're talking about. And so, when we hear from this psalm, I, I really want you to think about this from Moses and what you know about Moses. And so, I want to just show you tonight in verses 1 and 2 here. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so imagine writing this after all of these years of what should have been, at the most, a couple months. At the most, a journey from where they were leaving to where they were going. But yet that journey took them how long? Forty years. I mean, how many of you like sitting in traffic for an hour? And Moses is taking these people and it's just... And they're not going anywhere. And so Moses says, right here, he starts talking about the fact of God has always been. That time is different for God. He was before time and time he operates outside of time. God is eternal. And so listen to that. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Well, technically they hadn't been having a permanent dwelling place. They've been living out of the back of their car. For 40 years, which they didn't have cars, okay, the back of their camel, whatever they had, right? They're just picking it up, taking it down, picking it up, taking it down. And so he starts talking about the fact if even when my life doesn't have stability, even when my life doesn't have those roots, right? If you've been raised in Hamilton County and you've never left Hamilton County like many of us have, you think about those things, right? You think, that's where my grandma and grandpa used to live. That's where my parents lived. That's where my aunt and uncles lived. You think about those memories. And so home can be very special. But if you were raised in a not very good home, you probably don't have as well, as good of memories of that. And so tonight I want you to think about this. In the midst of constantly moving, constantly being without a home, he says, God, really, you've been our dwelling place. And so think about that in this sense that even in the storms of life, the challenges that you face, whether it's family betrayals, friend betrayals, your health fails, your finances fails, that God is that safe place. God is that safe refuge. Um, and so I hope for our girls that home is a safe place for them. Right, that's what we, we pray, that that is a place they're loved, accepted, forgiven... It, it's a place that they find encouragement. And he says, you have been our dwelling place in not just this generation, but all generations. And so as a parent, that matters to me. I want God to be faithful to me. I'm selfish. I'll be honest with you. I want as many blessings as God will give me. I hope He opens up the windows of heaven and pours them out constantly. But you know what I, do you know who I want to be blessed more than me? You're going to to speak up, deaf, my children, and my children's children. I'm not old enough yet to have grandchildren. Some of you are well on your way to having lots of grandchildren. Um, And so you think about that, and it matters. And so what he's saying is, for this generation and for the generation that's grew up, all they have known is pack your stuff and go, pack your stuff and go. I think of a military family. Right? They live in a few places for a little while and they pack up and move. Live in a few places or live in a certain area for a little while and they move on. And you hear military children say that right? a lot of times that when they finally got older and found a place, that's where they stayed. I heard one uh, person said that they had went to like seven different schools. You know. And this this idea of never having a friend and never making a friend. And it's just this idea of nothing constant. But it says God is constant. And so, when the storms rage, when the things fail around you, God is that refuge. And it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see, God was God before your problems, and God will be God after your problems. God was God before the storms that you're in. And he will be God after the storms that you're in, and so it's just talking about this this truth that God is right. He isn't the God who was; he is the God who is. He's the God who has always been. And so, when I think about heaven, I think the thing that I struggle with the most when I think about heaven is forever, right? I mean, just that. I mean, maybe you don't think but forever, right? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's like. It's a long time, right? I mean, just the concept of eternity I think is bigger than us because, one, we're not eternal. Yeah. But God is just trying to reassure us that when we think about our lives, most of us are guilty of thinking about what? The here and now. When Jonathan Edwards preached this text and when he started his ministry... He asked the Lord to burn eternity onto his eyeballs. Now, sounds painful, right? But his prayer was, Lord, help me to always be thinking with heaven and eternity in mind. Don't let me waste my life. right?" Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose what? His soul. And so as Christians, I know that I am guilty of being concerned about today, right? I just need to get my kids fed today. I need to get my kids uh, taken care of today. I, I need to get this accomplished. And so it's very easy to take my focus off of eternity and to put it on today. And that's not always a bad thing. You've got to go to work. You've got to raise your kids. You know, um, you know uh, what I always tell people is that when we come home with the same amount of kids that we left with, it's a win. Alright? That is successful parenting at this time. You say, what happens if you come home with more than that? That's a bad thing too, usually. <laughs> Because uh, we got enough people in our house. But anyway, and um, not that we don't like company, we just don't invite... Imbi- no, I'm just kidding. I'm uh, just kidding. But, but t- tonight I would, be, I would be very, very uh, open with you tonight and say I would think it's something we all struggle with. right? The living in the here and now, making decisions based on here and now, when truly I'm raising my children not for the here and now, but I'm raising my children for eternity. I'm not ministering to you just for today. And we do that, right? We sit with families when they lose loved ones. We sit with families when they're going through hardships. But really the reason that we are loving them today is because one, if they don't know Jesus, we want them to, to come to know Him. And if they do know Him, we want to strengthen and encourage them with that love that He has. And so to think about that. tonight, has What is in your life... Um, what is one memory that really just feels like home? Um, that, For me, I can remember my grandma's sweet tea. It was made with well water. And to think back now, it is gross. But it was really good when I was a kid. And I can think of that at their house. I remember the first year we didn't have Christmas at their house. I was so mad at the family member in our family that made that decision. I can remember that. Because you always had Christmas where? At Grandma's and Walpole on the hill. What's wrong with these people, right? Those are my childhood memories. What's something that for you that stands out? That that feeling of home and a dwelling place? Something something special like that. So let's just let's just move on because I I, I think that it just you understand why Moses is really referencing that because literally he's traveled with the same people. They've all died. And He's still not where they were supposed to be. It goes on here and it talks about how God is in control. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sheep in the morning. They are like grass that grows up. In the morning it flourishes, flourishes, and grows up, and in the evening it is cut down and withers. So he talks about the he talks about the home and the dwelling and the eternalness of God, but then he talks about the frailty of man. He talks about the simple fact that to God, we've heard this right, a day is like a thousand years. But he even goes on and shortens it even more and says, like a night watch. And a night watch would have been three or four hours, right? And so all we know for sure is that time is different with God than it is here. And so if you think about that, when the Lord said He was coming back soon, and if you continue to view it in this capacity, not even if it's specific, time operates different here than it does in heaven. But He says God is the one who... Starts our life, but He also is the one that returns us to the grave, right? That God allows us to be born, but He also allows us to, to die. And He just talks about this, and He talks about the fact that man is so helpless. And when you think about a flood, what I think about is those, those, the footage from the news about the waves and the, the houses and the buildings just being taken away, or the cars that are in the street and they're just swept away, or, or boats that end up in places that boats, boats aren't supposed to be, right? But if you saw a picture of a person <laughs> being hit by floodwaters, you don't see them anymore, do you? Right? The, the water takes them and they're gone. And I think that's one of the most tragic things sometimes. You'll, you'll see that, right, that a person falls overboard in the ocean and they, they, they can't find them. But it's especially worse in a storm. And what God says is, we're helpless. Moses says, we're out here in the desert, we're dying, a whole generation's dying, and, and there's nothing we can do about it. There is nothing we can do about it. And so tonight, I really want you to think about that, that death is something that you and I cannot stop. It comes for all of us. And uh, I heard um, a, a Christian artist interviewing another one, and he said, When death comes for you, like it has for so many of our other friends, what do you want them to say about you? And um, he said, uh, I want them to say that I was redeemed. I was redeemed. You see, if the rapture doesn't happen, you are all going to have a funeral that you don't know about. I say that you don't know about it because (laughs) you're going to be there, not here. And the question is, what will they say about you? What will the service look like will it be a service that honors God that is a testimony to your life or will it be a moment where the pastor is asking anybody and everybody that has ever met you was there ever a time at vacation Bible school or did they run over their toe and cry out to the Lord was there something sometime I preach a lot of funerals and I've said along a lot across a lot of families that have said their life Their testimony was the real deal. And I've stood across from a lot of people who had to honestly say, I just don't know. I don't want that for my kids when I leave this world. I want them to know that they know that they know that dad was right with the Lord. And that absent from the body is... Now, I hope we all go flying, all right? That's what I hope happens. I hope the rapture happens right now. You say, what about them lost people? I love them, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And so I really want you to think about that because he even goes on and says, they're like sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. And in the evening, it is cut down and withers. And so we see the seasons of life. Right? We see the seasons of a plant. We see the seasons of a crop. Right, It's planted. It grows. If it doesn't get enough water, it dies. But even if it grows to fruition, there's never been a time when you've had a good crop and you've said, Brad, I think I'll just leave it. I don't think I'll harvest it. It looks so pretty out there. I think it's, I'll think i just leave it. I'll just let it sit all winter and ruin. That's good farming, isn't it, Kent? No, right? It's going to die no matter what. And as a believer, you need to know something. Your life is going to come to an end. The question is, will you be productive with what time God gives you? Will I be productive with the time that God gives me? Um, What are your thoughts? Do you think your view of life has changed as you've gotten older? I think when you're younger, you think, i got lots of time, right? I'll never be fat and bald like them other people. And now that I'm at that age, I'm thinking, I'm fat and bald, <laughs> you know. I remember when I started working at Walgreens, I was 22 years old, and those guys that were 30, man, they were old. We used to make fun of them for being old. Them guys that were 40 were ancient. And there was a few guys that were getting close to retirement. And what would we call them? Hello, Methuselah, right? That's, you know, it's just that's how you treat people, I think, when you work that way. Or that's how I always have. Now that I'm getting older, it's changed, right? There are people my age that have got cancer. There are people that are my age that have passed away. There are, there are people my age that have dramatic events in their life with her children and grandchildren. And so it starts to cause you to remember and to realize that tomorrow is not what. It's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. How do you think it has affected your life as you have gotten older? How many of you have ever looked back in your life and said, I think I made a mountain out of a molehill? (laughs) Yeah, I think we all have. All of us look back and think, oh, that was not a big deal, right? That shouldn't have been a big deal. Sometimes we invest our money in things, right? We buy things, and then two years later we look back, or ten years later we look back and be like, that wasn't a very good, you know. And so I just really want you to think about that tonight in your life, and And the eternity is what we should be focused on. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be so heavenly minded that you're earthly worthless, okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. But you should be so focused on eternity that it affects how you live here. My children, where are they going to spend eternity? My nieces and nephews, where are they going to spend eternity? My mom, my dad, my sisters, my brothers, the people I work with, where are they going to spend eternity? Because death's gonna come for them too. You see, death is not something that is to be feared as a Christian. The Bible talks about it, it's like sleep. <laughs> you 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 go to sleep here and you wake up there. There's not an in-between, there's not a holding pattern, there's not a waiting time. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I have been in the room with a lot of people of these passed away, and there's a difference there is a difference and I know Keith can attest to this working in healthcare there is a difference when a believer takes their last breath and when someone that doesn't there's a there's a calm there's a peace there's a it it's un, it's indescribable now I don't know if that's the case all the time I'm just telling you that those people I know and I can think of that it, it's different why because there's confidence there's confidence not in the fact that I was a Baptist, which I think Baptists are right, by the way. But it's not I'm not confident. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a Baptist. Trust me, I know enough Baptists that think they're going that probably aren't, right? It's not, it's not even because I'm a pastor. I don't have nothing to do when I get there when it comes to preaching, probably. Who's going to want to listen to me if Jesus is there, right? I'll be mopping up somewhere or something, hopefully. That's what Jan used to tell me all the time. She said, there are lots of singing in heaven. Lots of singing in heaven but ain't going to want nobody listening to some old worn-out Baptist preacher when Jesus is there. She's right. So I'll probably end up mopping or something. Who knows what the task will be. But I want you to think about this. I really want you to think about this tonight because I think that we are living in a culture and a world that it's all about the now. Everything's about now. Now. What do we do now? How do we make our life longer here when truly... That's exactly the backwards approach from what God's Word says. He goes on in verses 7 through 12. And just think about Moses writing this now. It's the significance of who writes this. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your countenance? For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh, and the days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, he starts out by talking about the simple fact that there is an aspect of God that is the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And and we don't talk about that. No one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about the fact that God punishes sin. No one wants to talk about the fact... There are consequences for sin. That's not something we want to talk about. We want to gloss over it. But he starts out right here. Moses says, you know how I know that the wrath of God is real? I'm going in circles in the desert and people's dropping like flies. I am watching firsthand the consequences of sin. And Moses would know. Moses is watching and with every death he's remembering... We wouldn't go in, and here we are. We wouldn't obey God, and here we are. And you say, Jake, that's a pretty uh, overwhelming thought, but truly that's the same case today. When you go to a funeral, the reason that person died was because of sin. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that, right, when we sinned, it brought what? Death. That is why I personally believe that there is no way possible for death to happen before the garden. I don't believe there's animal death. I don't believe there was people death. Sometimes you'll hear that God created everything and He didn't like it, so He started over. And then sin brought... You can't get it any other way. Because Christ's death brought what? Life. And so it's been made right. And I hear this more probably than any question I get asked as a pastor. Why did God take my loved one? There are people that hate God because of that. Why did my child die? Why did my nephew die? Why? And, I, and I, that's a hard question, I'll be honest with you. But really the reason that any death happens is because of sin. He kept His word. He kept His word. He kept His word. And so it's not a popular answer. It's not a, an answer that, that we want to talk about. And it's not saying that, that, that you lost a loved one because they were more sinful than someone else. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that all people, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. You see, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. And, but look what he says there in verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. So not only does God see their sin, it gives us this idea that it sets them right before him. And I I heard this this week as I was studying again. Someone asked this question of how can God throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, right? But yet then still give you the consequences for your sins. And I thought that's a really good question. And the explanation that was given, and I I think that's really a good explanation is, in the case of eternally, God forgives your sins completely. Right? So when you stand before God someday, and that one sin that you committed would be enough to keep you out of heaven. But Christ has covered them. God has forgotten them. The Bible says as far as the, the east is from the west, from the earth to the stars. But temporarily... God doesn't forget about the consequences to your sin, right? If I steal from uh, Jared and I bought furniture last year, which I paid for it, but if I didn't pay for it, so if you bought furniture from me and didn't pay for it, that's wrong, Anybody, anyway, uh, and I didn't pay for it, and he went around town and said, I can't believe it. pastor bought furniture and didn't pay for it. That's an earthly consequence that, that I could find forgiveness for. But it's going to affect our relationship, He'd probably just say, don't worry about it, but... No, just kidding. But it would affect probably what he talks about when people say, well, Jake, he's a real good guy. He'd be like, no, he's not! Cheating me out of whatever furniture cost. Right? So think about it. So we really have to be reminded that Moses is saying, not only did we sin, not only did God know about our sin, but that God hates sin so much... And we'll punish it that it's, that it's before Him. That it, it's before Him. Not just the public sin, but what does it say there? Secret. The secret sin. You see, I might be able to hide my sin from you, but I cannot hide it from God. And if you and I think, well, I'm not going to be punished for my sin. God says, you can't get around it. You can't avoid it. That's why Christ had to die. For the sin that we hide, the sin that is public. But look what it says in verses 9. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finished our years like a sigh. He's talking specifically about the children of Israel because literally they knew that it was never going to get any better on this earth. From the moment they were cursed to wander in the desert they knew it's never going to get any better. We're ne- God's not going to change his mind after like 36 and a half years and be like, come on in, right? It's not like when your kids are, are on, on, you're on the way home from Mount Vernon and you've promised them four spankings. I can remember doing this as a kid all the time. I can remember my parents in the front seat. If we're really good, the whole ride home, can we have spankings taken away? You ever Have you your kids ever asked that, right? I know you said no Nintendo for a month, but if I'm really good... Right? It's the bargaining of our children. They, they try that. I mean, I, I, you hear it all the time. I hear it as an adult. You've probably tried it with a police officer, right? Well, I know I was speeding, but I'd really like a warning. Well, I bet you would, right? And as soon as he leaves, you're going to drive just as fast as you did before. That's just this mindset. But what Moses says is, is it's not going to get any better. And so literally, when we leave this world, it's almost like a sigh of relief. Have you ever been around someone that when they left, it was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Now, I know you're all thinking it's me, right? You're thinking, can 7.30 get here quick enough? I know. But that's what Moses is saying. The pinnacle of our life, for us that are in the wilderness, is to die. And he wasn't saying that like the Christian has that hope, right? The greatest thing for me is to leave this world and go to heaven... He's saying our life is so difficult and treacherous and, 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 and complicated because of our sin that we live and we die. And it's a sigh. But he goes on and says something that's very interesting. He says the days of our lives are 70 years. And so it kind of gives this idea that, that you know, some of you are over 70, so I'm going to be careful here, right? But, but that, that that's, that's a blessing. Seventy years is a blessing. But then he goes on and says, but even 80 years is a blessing. But it's still not easy. But he wasn't specifically talking to you and I. He was specifically talking to this generation of people. Right? In Israel, throughout all of history, you became an elder, right? You became more respected. You were a leader of the city. You read through the Old Testament, they were around the gates, right? Doing the Lord's business. Planning for the future and the next generation. This older generation wasn't planning for the future at all because they weren't going nowhere, and where they were going, they didn't know anything about. Right? How many of you remember the the old people from Hamilton County when you were a kid? Right? I can think the old men sitting down at Dale at Hunt's, right, and uh, telling stories back there in the old uh, shop area, right? Or you can you can go to Ferris's today and see the old guys that are sitting together trying to solve the world's problems, and they don't, by the way, at all. <laughs> Right or before coronavirus, you could go by McDonald's and there'd be the old guys sitting in there. Right, if you go to Dalgren before the coronavirus, there was old guys in there playing checkers and so, some of them are here, right, solving the world's problems. And you think about that and right, it, those conversations always revolve around what? Well, the crops, or you remember so and so, or you remember so and so's dad, and you remember when they used to live over here, and I wonder what's going to happen with the coal mine, and you know, this, that, that's the conversation. But this generation had none of that. They were slaves in Egypt. It wasn't their home. God gave them a place to go to be their home, and they said no. They had nothing to to rely on, nothing to remember. We were slaves, and we're dying in the wilderness. That was their generational stories. There we were. We didn't go in, and here we are. As a parent... I like to tell my stories about my grandma and grandpa. Um, I, I enjoy that, and they get a kick out of that because some of them are funny. Some of them are not appropriate um, with the things that he said, and and I, my wife has to remind me sometimes that that's probably not a good story to tell them. And as my dad says, some of those stories that you mentioned from the pulpit probably are not a good one, right? So, so the whole. Uh, the the second kid always takes nine months. The first one can come at any time. That was a grandpa quote. That's it's probably not a good one to use. It's a true one, but it's not a good one. Yeah, yes. And um, so so, but that's the specialness, right? Of of family and and the generations. And someday my kids will be telling stories about my parents to their kids, right? It's this idea, but this generation had none of it. Other than God was so good to us, and He brought us out of slavery. He brought us to the edge of a sea. We were going to die. And He did what? He parted it. We, we went on a little while, and we went to this mountain, and the very presence of God did what? It engulfed that mountain. It says even if an animal gets on there, God provided for us, our, it took care of us, manna from heaven... And we got right to the edge of His promise. And we what? We didn't go. That's our testimony. And now for all this generation, we've wandered in the same area and died. Don't let your testimony be about the wasted opportunities that God gives you. I would write that down if you're taking notes. <laughs> Think about that. What is your legacy going to be to your children? Are you and your wife going to be the generation that changes everything for your family? That says, hey, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't taught to love my wife and to, to do business honorably, but I'm going to show my kids. This is what it looks like. My, and we were talking about the song by... George Yance last week about um, uh, he don't live here anymore and it's one of my favorite songs too. And If you ever heard that old gospel song you, you know it and right it's it, the story behind the song is when the child was little the dad was not a Christian and so he saw him drinking and beaten and all these things right and after he's saved and I'm not gonna sing it because that's a voice that can hardly be replicated they go back to that house, and the child's afraid, right? And he's thinking about the memories of his childhood, and he says, "You've got a brand new daddy. He don't live here anymore." You see, that can be the legacy of you and your family to break that generational sin, to to to, to right the ship. Or the testimony could be exactly the opposite. I had to get up as a kid and walk myself to church. I, I, had, to, I had to scrounge around for food because there's no food in the house. You see, it's, it's our decision to make the most of the opportunities that God has given us. What is something in your life that, has, that you would say that, that's one of those memories, right? Maybe it's your parents didn't raise you in church, but your grandparents took you. Maybe you weren't raised in church, but the church man came and picked you up. What is something like that, that really in your life? Yeah. Don, do you ever think about how many stories there will be like that in heaven about the kids you picked up on the bus? Mom and dad wouldn't get up. Mom and dad wouldn't go to church. But some rusty old church bus that didn't know if it was going to make it to church or not, right, would stop and pick us up. And I gave my life to Christ. And even though I might have ran for many, many years, right, when God really saves you, He what? Really does. One of those little girls that we brought to church has already died. She died in the mm mm-hmm. yeah. Amen. And so we don't know that. We don't know those stories. And, and at... Billy Graham they, they, they sang a song and I don't like the artist anymore but because of his lifestyle but but Ray Ray Boltz sang a song and it was really directed to Billy Graham and it was thank you for giving to the Lord. Right? You you just don't know. You don't know the difference you're going to make in the life of that kid in vacation Bible school. That kid that's in your Sunday school class. You have no idea. What that that act of kindness that you show to that father who doesn't want to come to church but comes and realizes, you know what? Not everyone that goes to church is a jerk, right? There are enough jerks that go to church that people need a nice example of what's not that. You have no idea the difference that could make in their life and as a parent. And we're going to uh, run to the end really quickly here because there's just, there's just these last few verses. It talks about the wrath of God, but then it talks about the mercy of God. It doesn't end with the wrath of God. Return, O Lord, how long, and have what? Compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, The years in which we have seen evil, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us. And establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He says, God have mercy on us, but also have mercy on the next generation, right? They're not going to have to deal with this consequence They're going to get to go into the promised land. They're going to get to live the blessings that you wanted for us. And so I want you to hear this as I close. Even in the midst of our difficulties, even in the midst of God punishing us for our sins, God is still God. And the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be... The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? To forgive them. And so I might make a mess of my life on a regular basis. (laughs) I say things, I'm telling you, I say things sometimes and I think, man, that was really good. And there are other days I say things and think, what happened? How can you go from this to that? But God forgives. As a parent, there are days I think, man, I think I've got this figured out. And there are other days I think, I'll just leave them at my parents for a week and that'll be okay. (laughs) And I don't mean that to be mean and I would never be abusive to my kids, but some days I feel like just I failed them. I'm not there enough. I, I, I I wish I'd have prayed more with them. I wish I'd have read more with them. I wish I would have encouraged them instead of being so harsh with them, right? Man, I wish I wouldn't be so obsessed with the fact that there's 37 piles of dirty laundry downstairs. It's just laundry, right? Don't, don't lose your temper over that stuff. And there's other days I stay up all night and do the laundry. All, I, don't, I don't fold it, okay? But I, I fold the towels. I fold the towels. Stay up all night and do laundry and put it in hampers, right? And I don't carry it upstairs, so it's not, I'm not really bragging much here, okay? But, you know, and I think... You know, she's really going to be pleased. And I can tell. But I'm going to tell a bad story of myself, This and, and then I'm going to close. So last Friday, I was, I was going to, to go to a surgery at 4 a.m. And I was going to be in my office till about midnight. And um, some of you have heard this story, and that's, you just have to get over it. But, uh, and uh, my wife said, there's no reason for you to drive home and get to bed at 1 and then get up at 2 to go over there. So she said, won't you just go over there and find the cheapest hotel you can, which the cheapest one was at the casino, but I didn't go there, okay? just on the, I thought about it. Seven bucks made a big difference, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah. There's a sign in the back you can pull it. No, no, I'm just kidding. Like $41 to $48, right? And so I found the second most cheap, scummy hotel to take about a two-hour nap. And uh, I got over there. And uh, I said, I've got a reservation. It was about a little after one, you know, and and, um, I was going to sleep in my car, but, you know, apparently at freezing, that's not a good idea. In the summer, if you see me sleeping in a parking lot, it's not because Tony and I have had a fight, all right? It's because that's why. Um, And so I said, I've got a reservation. You know, I'm only going to be here about two and a half hours, but I'd like to take a shower, you know. And the person said, you're not on the list. And I'm like, that's what I get for getting a hotel like this, right, you know. Don't speak any English. and I, Anyway, that's a whole other story. But, uh, you know. So they're like, sir, can you give us the confirmation number? I'm like, yes. And they said, sir, what day is it? I said, it's January the 21st. They said, it's not January the 21st. It's January the 14th. And I went, oh. So anyway, needless to say, I was so cheap in getting that room, I couldn't get a refund. So I called my wife and said, guess what? Next week, we're going to the classiest hotel in Evansville. We're going to leave the kids with my mom. I asked her if she'd take a day off work. I said, I'm going to take you to Evansville. And she was so happy. And uh, then I told her about the hotel. And she wasn't as happy, but she was, you know. So if we get mugged and I don't come back, you know what happened, right? For 50 bucks, Jake wouldn't take, you know, wouldn't take that loss. But we're going to go, we're going to eat, we're going to spend the night, you know, anyway. But that's the story I've been telling people, and that's the truth. And they're like, boy, I bet that really made her feel like she was special. We're going to go stay in the scummiest, cheapest hotel that's not the casino. This is your six girls are going to Yeah, <laughs> don't marry someone like your dad who's a cheapskate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. She can sleep a whole full eight hours, right? Now, when I went into that room, it looked like someone had been using the air conditioner as an ashtray, but hey, you know, it is what it is. One time at Mattoon, I went into a room like that, and uh, the air con- the heater didn't work. There was snow on the ground. I said, sir, can I have another room? And they said, no, that's all, you know. So they moved me into a room that was in the water damage section, and the room was all black with mold. And and they said, that's all we got. I said, heat with mold is better than no heat with no mold. So, you know, you you find yourself in some predicaments from time to time. But the intent was there, right? The delivery didn't go over real well. (laughs) And tonight I really want you to know that, that even when you stumble and make mistakes and fall short, and it feels like the world's giving up on you, Your family's given up on you. Your friends have given up on you. God says, you might be in a mess, but I'm not done with you. As a pastor, I have to have the Lord remind me of that a lot. Um, A lot. Because I can get focused on my mistakes, the church's failures, the, the, the junk that's going on in this world. And God has to remind me, Jake, I'm still at work. I'm still doing things. And as long as you have breath, you have a purpose. And so remember that even the children of Israel who knew they were all going to die in the wilderness, Moses says, Lord, show mercy to us and establish the next generation.